Acts chapter 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Acts. Skipped a few, but I got you headed in the right direction. And I do am excited and have been excited and uh, have been much in prayer about this meeting. You know, we can come and we can show up and we can go through a series of services and we can even be stirred and go home the same that we are. But how many believe that if revival comes, now we say, boy, we need to see people saved. That's a byproduct of revival, but revival begins at the church. It begins at the house of God. And what we need is not, Lord, don't just stir us, but God, we need to be changed. And we need, and and revival starts individually. When we get in that circle, draw the circle and say, Lord, send revival and let it begin right here with me. And that is, uh, that is my prayer. And uh, I believe this is where God would have us start this morning, uh, talking and looking at another revival. Acts chapter 11. I do, am I doing something there? Kevin Denton's back at the soundboard. I can tell he's, uh, he's running the sound. <laughs> Acts chapter 11. I promise you I'm not going to mention Kevin Denton the rest of this week. Verse 19, Acts 11 and verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You do understand that in these verses that I have read in your presence this morning that the church is just beginning. The New Testament church after Christ has come and ascended back into heaven is just beginning at Jerusalem. It's in its infant stages. Deacons have been chosen. And you remember that preaching deacon Stephen standing up full of the Holy Ghost preaches. Old time conviction falls on the crowd And they pick up stones and Stephen is martyred. And so persecution now faces the early church and the church begins to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. And we now find Christians in far-flung places as North Africa, the Mediterranean islands. And in this passage of Scripture, we have believers that have went all the way to the Syrian city of Antioch, where we find some Greek-speaking Jews have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and revival. We're talking about revival this week. Revival 
has broken out. You say, why do you think they had revival? Well, I see the description there in these verses. It says the hand of the Lord was with them. It says a great number believed. It says that they turned unto the Lord. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a revival to me. And verse 22, apparently good news travels fast because the mother church back in Jerusalem apparently hears about all the good things that are happening there in Antioch that they send a missionary slash private investigator named Barnabas to find out what is going on. And in verse 23, Barnabas comes and he experiences something that absolutely energizes his soul. It excites him so much he gets all fired up and he begins to exhort these young converts that are there. And then he runs and gets Saul and brings Saul back and they begin to encourage these believers. And they stay in Antioch for more than a year discipling and encouraging these young believers. And what happens in that community of Antioch is so impressive. Their testimony and the excitement of this revival is so impressive that the people in the community who are observing that is all that is taking place. Give those Christ followers a name that has stuck with us all of these hundreds and even thousands of years later. For we find that believers of Christ were first called Christians at Antioch. Now my question is this morning, you ought to think when you come to church, my question is what was it that Barnabas saw that was so impressive that got all of this started? Well let me tell you first of all some things that I know that he did not find when he got to Antioch. First of all there was no great and beautiful church building. Thank God for church buildings and thank God that we have them. And boy, I'll not preach in too many places this year, no doubt, that have more beautiful facilities than you do. But the church at this early juncture was meeting from house to house. So he didn't come and find some great church facility. There was no great seminary trained pastor who had uh, great illiterate ability uh, to, to alliterate sermons and to uh, great elocution and very verbose because everybody's starting this thing from scratch. And so there, there isn't, there's, there were not so many of the things that people think that uh, is necessary or church growth people would try to tell us that we need uh, to make a successful church or a growing church or, or, or a modern church. There wasn't any pretty clothes. Uh, there was no great praise team. There wasn't any smoke or mirrors. There was not anybody up in uh, a preacher up there with uh, orange leotards waving a praise banner doing the hoochie coochie. And by the way, how many are glad that the evangelist is not in orange leotards this morning in the service? Some of you got a visual that'll stay with you all through this meeting. <laughs> it wasn't a singles outreach. It wasn't a coffee bar. It, 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 there were none of those things. But verse 23 says that when Barnabas came and he saw, when he had seen, 
The grace of God. I don't know about you, but I find that to be a very interesting statement. It says that he saw the grace of God. How do you see grace? I think in my lifetime, my goodness, I have, I have heard about grace all of my life. Probably, arguably, the number one most popular and well-known gospel song of modern times would be that English slave trader John Newton's song about grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And of course, we've heard preachers, and I've done it, and I'm sure you've heard preachers try to define grace by that acronym, taking each of the letters of grace and defining it as God's riches at Christ's expense. Hey, I want to tell you, I'll give testimony this morning that in 1975, on a Friday night at Vacation Bible School as a six-year-old boy at the Grace Brethren Church in Worcester, Ohio, I experienced grace. Grace became real in my life when I was saved as a six-year-old boy. I, so I've experienced grace. Grace has been applied and became real to me. Well, not something that I just heard. And I've preached about grace and I've sung about grace down through the years. But that's not what this says. This says that Barnabas came and saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. My question this morning, and this is certainly not original with me and this thought, this question, but as I look at this passage of Scripture, I'm taken with verse 23 and the fact that Barnabas saw the grace of God. My question to us, my question this morning at the beginning of this revival, I wonder, has anybody seen grace lately? I wonder if anybody has seen, I wonder if you've seen grace, and I wonder if somebody that has come in contact with you in your life recently has walked away from you having seen the grace of God. Now, first of all, what does that mean? Well, I think that you would probably agree with me that we have to believe that what Barnabas saw was that he saw the grace of God exemplified in the changed life of the believers that he came in contact with when he got up there to Antioch. By the way, I believe that's still how people are going to know that we have had an experience with the Lord is if they see him working in our lives. It's not rocket science. That little girl that came home from Sunday school, she went to her dad and said, Daddy, how tall is Jesus? He said, what a ridiculous question. I have no idea. Go ask your mother. And she went and the mother was cooking uh, Sunday dinner. Mommy, how tall is Jesus? I don't know. Go ask your dad. Already did. And they go back and forth and finally the dad said, I, I don't know. Probably five foot 11 or six foot. But why are you asking such a question? And she said, well, this morning in Sunday school, our Sunday school teacher said that when I made Jesus the Lord of my life and asked him to forgive me of my sins, he came and moved in on the inside of me. Said I was driving home, we were driving home. I thought that Jesus, he must be about six foot tall and I'm only about four foot tall. And if that's the case and he's living on the inside of me, he ought to stick out on me somewhere. And by the way, if you have not, you're not here in the last times that I have been here, when I do that, 
when I'm preaching. That means I have made a particularly good point that I think you ought to amen. If you do not amen when I do that, I will run down, sit down, and amen myself. If I have to do that four or five times, I, unlike the worship leader who will not be named, am out of shape, and this thing could take about three hours. Y'all pick up fast in North Carolina. If he lives on the inside of us, he ought to stick out on us somewhere. Oh, I wonder. I wonder. Has anybody seen? I'm not asking if they've heard about it. I'm not asking if somebody heard a, a sermon. I'm not asking if they saw it. I'm asking, has anybody seen grace? And for just a few minutes this morning, I would like to stand and testify right beside Barnabas to raise my hand and say, I too have seen the grace of God. I've seen it from time to time in my life at specific moments. There's specific moments that I can, I can look back to and trace back in my life that I have seen the grace of God. Many of you, if you've heard me before and, and, and you know my story, know that, uh, of course, I just told you I got saved when I was six years old. Some of you may not going to like this part. If you've got heart medication, it might be good to get it out right now. At, at, when I was nine years old in third grade, I announced that God had called me to preach. I've had people come up to me and say, I don't know if I believe that or not. All due respect, I was there when it happened. <laughs> hey. Listen, not a lot of people take you seriously when you're in third grade and you say you're going to be a preacher. You know, I had two uncles that were very prominent preachers in our area there in Ohio. I, my great-grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher in the hills of West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky. It's sort of like the family business. So Susie wants to be a nurse. Johnny wants to be a fireman. Jimmy wants to be a preacher. Go, go, that's good. Go play. There were a couple people that took me seriously. I was there in third grade. I had started attending a small Christian school in our area, Calvary Christian Academy. My sister and I were enrolled there in third grade. Very small school, probably less than 100 students, K through 12. And on Mondays, all the whole school would come together for like a convocation to read some scripture, start the week off, sing a couple songs. And I'll never forget that Monday. When our principal, Don Ballard, walked out and in a booming voice said, where's Jimmy McComas? How many know when the principal calls you out by name, usually it's not going to be good. Everybody was so excited, they thought I was going to get it for something. Everybody got quiet. He walks over to me. Everybody's watching. He's got something in his hand. He said, Jimmy, I heard some news about you. I heard you announce your call to preach. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I want you to know I'm proud of you. And I'm going to be praying for you. And then he handed me a gift from his personal library. It was a Ryrie adult study commentary on the book of John. Now, people, I mean, third grade. I mean, I, when I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer in third grade. I mean, I was the last one to learn cursive. I was the last one to learn my multiplication tables. Matter of fact, when I did learn my multiplication tables, I had to sing them to learn them. Matter of fact, if you ask me today what eight times eight, well, I have to go eight times eight is 64. Eight times, is that right? 40, 48, 56. That's right. 
I mean, I wish I could tell you I got something real deep in my devotions as a third grader from a Ryrie adult study commentary. But I tell you what I did get. Somebody who I looked up to and respected had just validated a decision I had made for Christ. And I have never forgot. I can remember that like it was yesterday, even though it was 40 plus years ago. Oh, has anybody seen grace? I'd like to testify. My pastor growing up in our little country church there, Truth Baptist Church, West Salem, Ohio, out in the country. We, we didn't have any rich people, just country, rural folks, farmers in our little church. And between my junior and senior year, but in my junior year of high school, some missionaries from France had come to our school. And I just kind of felt burdened. I kind of wanted to go work with them over the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. They said, we have a program for young people who want to come with the airfare and everything, it's going to cost you about $1,500. This was 1986. I mean, it might have been, it might as well have been $15 million. We did not have any money. And my pastor in our church, Carlos Brown, he said, get a sermon together. You're going to preach Sunday night. Okay. And when I got done preaching, before I could give an invitation or anything, Pastor Browning is in the pulpit with me with his arm around me. I thought, what is going on? And he looks out on our congregation. He said, uh, that was a good sermon Jimmy just preached, wasn't it? Yeah. Good as a 16-year-old just starting to preach. Amen. He said, and you want a copy of that sermon, don't you? I mean, we gave away any of our sermons in our church on cassette tape. Young people, cassette tape. It was right after eight-track tapes. Just ask somebody later. <laughs> He said, you want that sermon so bad? And he pointed down to the communion table. And I looked down there and I noticed there's a yellow legal pad down there. He said, y'all are going to sign up and pay $5 a piece to get that sermon he just preached. And we're going to send this boy to France. And he's closing in prayer. And I'm going off the, I am going off the platform in tears. I'm thinking to myself, Pastor Browning, I mean, all due respect, but you have lost your mind. I mean, isn't that what somebody wants to do to pay $5 for something that's normally free of a kid preacher just learning to preach? I thought nobody is going to go for that deal. And you know, you have visual snapshots from your life. I will never forget opening my eyes at that country church and they were lined down that middle aisle. The first one in the line was Eunice Shook. She was the poorest person in our church. She probably didn't have 10 cents to rub together. And they didn't give just $5. Some of them gave $25. Some of them gave $50. Some of them gave $100. You know what I see in my mind's eye when I look and see a true Baptist church in that line of people? Oh, Barnabas. I want to stand with you. I'm with you. I too have seen grace. I have seen grace over the years in the lives of changed believers, just like Barnabas did in Antioch. We had a family in our church. We, of course, we pastored there in northeast Ohio, 10 miles from where I was born. I pastored for 21 years, the only church I pastored. And um, we had a family uh, called the Kick family. And they had a, a whole house full of Kick boys. There was the, the, the Kick boys. And, Matthew Kick was in the middle of that bunch and he came to my office one Sunday night. He wanted to be saved and so I led him to the Lord after church and, 
and we talked about baptism, and then our family and their family went to a, f- a little Italian fast food restaurant there close to us. I watched as the kids ordered their food. I watched as Matthew had just got saved, got his, and they put his little toy, little Happy Meal toy there. I watched him move down. I watched his younger brother Ben go up there. They gave him his food, and then the waitress said, I'm so sorry, son, but our truck doesn't come to tomorrow. We're out of toys. That's the last one that we had. I'm so sorry. I watched then as Matt Kick took his toy off of his plate and put it over on his brother's. I watched as the waitress looked and said, son, that's such a nice thing to do. I watched as Matt Kick, loud as could be for the whole restaurant to hear, said, do you know why I did that? She said, no, why? He said, because I got saved tonight. Anybody seen grace? I've seen grace in the darkest moments of tragedy in our lives. Many of you know the story, and and if you were here in the last revival, I gave the testimony uh, of the loss that our family suffered five years ago when our oldest son passed away. And I, I can remember, there's not a lot of things that I remember in that time, but I remember I was in California that night, flew all the way through the night to get back home. I'll never forget coming down the concourse at the Nashville airport very early, about six o'clock that Sunday morning. I'll never forget looking down that hallway and seeing our pastor, Corey Minner. You say, what did he say to you? I don't remember what he said. And by the way, there isn't anything to say at a time like that. But I do remember his presence there. I remember thinking that, I mean, he's got to preach in a little while. He got up at four o'clock in the morning to come and and, and, and be with us. I can remember in, in our son's viewing at our church there in Ohio, I can, not a lot I remember, a lot of the people going through, I don't remember all the words of comfort said, but I remember distinctly a moment looking out the glass door windows of our church. And I could see a car and a man getting out of a car, the bearded man, and, I, and it took me a while to focus on who that was. Because it wasn't somebody I expected to see in Ohio. His name was Gordon Boring. He's the adult Sunday school teacher at First Free Will Baptist Church in Crossville, Tennessee. I don't know Gordon Boring that much. I've never been in Gordon Boring's house. We would not certainly be classified as good friends. And what I found out later was that Gordon had got in his car in Crossville, Tennessee, drove eight hours to Creston, Ohio, got out, stood in line for over two hours, paid his respects to our family, got in his car and drove back alone to Crossville, Tennessee. Now let me tell you, in July I'll be back at Crossville Church and I'll be in Gordon's Sunday school class. And I always thought he was a good Sunday school teacher. But let me tell you, to now he's the greatest Sunday school teacher I've ever heard. Do you know why? Because God used him to, to exhibit and show grace in my life in that moment. When you, when you suffer tragedy, your heroes change. And I remember when, when, when our family moved uh, to East Tennessee and we began attending the church that we attend now, Valley Forge Free Will Baptist Church there in Elizabeth. And, and our pastor, Randy Johnson, he, he connected us up with a couple in our church named Jennifer and David Martin. Jennifer and David Martin, several years ago, they had a 15-year-old son named Adam who went to school, a perfectly healthy 15-year-old. He came home early from football practice with a headache, and within a matter of 48 to 72 hours, he was gone, passed away, deceased from spinal meningitis. And 
I remember sitting in their home and sharing with them. But what I distinctly remember was after I found out and we heard their story, I can remember that next Sunday morning sitting in our church and Jennifer Martin sings. She sits in the second row of our praise choir. And I remember looking at her up in that choir loft with tears streaming down her face singing these words to the choir song that morning. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Has anybody seen grace? Her husband David is one of the sound men in our church and our pastor had, had invited me last year sometime to, to preach on Sunday morning. This was during COVID. This is when we were all TV evangelists. We were all shut down. And so I'm, you know, preaching in a building that seats 800 people and there's three people in the building. Now that'll do something to you. You ought to try it sometime. You'll have a great appreciation for your pastor and all that we've been through over these last couple of years. But uh, I mean, I just got discombobulated. I mean, that's a Yankee term. That means I was upset. I was nervous. And I'm singing this song that I have sung a thousand times. I know it backwards and forwards, but I'm forgetting the words to it. I get to the chorus. He's good when I'm happy. And he's good when I'm sad. And he's good when... I'm somewhere in between. And he's good when the billows have over me rolled. And he's good when I've won victory. And so I declare to the forces of Satan that no matter what my circumstance be, With all of my praise, I'll say of my Savior, He's still been a good God to me. And I look back at an empty building and David Martin is standing at the soundboard with both hands lifted in the air, tears streaming down his face. Oh, I wonder if anybody has seen the grace of God. That's the question this morning. But here's the challenge at the beginning of this revival. Can I leave you with this challenge? I wonder what people see when they come in contact with us. And listen, we know that the church, we could spend a lot of time. I was just in a, I just, this weekend did a minister's and layman's retreat in, in Northern Virginia. And a lot of our pastors, I mean, they're, they're, they get together and, 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 and the pandemic has taken a lot of, from us and has limited us and has, has reduced our crowds. And we can spend a lot of time just singing gloom, despair, and agony on me. And there's a lot of things that we've lost. But can I tell you that the opportunity and the need for the church is greater today perhaps than any time in your or mine lifetime. This world needs to see, and it's not necessarily just in here. They need to see the grace of God, and that happens on a day-to-day basis when we must take faith, church, and take it out of the four walls and be the church to a lost and dying community. Oh, I wonder if anybody has seen grace lately. Not singing about it, not studying it. Have they seen it? I'm in Ypsilanti, Michigan. 
I'm in a revival meeting there. It's after church. I'm, it's late at night. We've already went to eat. I've come back. I've got my Bible under my hand. I'm wearing a suit. I walk through the foyer, the lobby. The lady behind the counter said, are you a preacher? I said, I am. She said, can I leave you a prayer request? I said, absolutely. And she began to cry. She said, would you pray that people would be nicer? She said, I have never in all the years of working in public service seen people as mean and grumpy as they are now. Said our manager is gone. She left, uh, she's on a leave of absence because yesterday uh, (coughs) a person enraged because their room was an hour late getting ready began to be physical, reached across the counter. They had to mace her. The police took her out kicking and screaming and arrested her. The people are just so mean. My wife's sister was district manager for Cracker Barrel. And if you would ask her, if you were to ask her, what day do waitresses dread the most? Boy, I hate to give you the answer. You probably already guessed it. Sunday. Why? I'm just telling you what they, I'm just reporting the news, what they said. They said because that church crowd is the most grumpy, the most demanding. And the cheapest tippers. Mm. Something wrong somewhere. Talking about has anybody seen grace? So that's the challenge. But God, as I was preparing this message in a very unique way, convicted me. I was preparing this message a year ago to preach at our church our home church. Again, this during the pandemic, TV evangelist, empty building. That week, I was just putting the finishing touches on it and I hadn't preached it yet. On Thursday at our ministry, if I am in the office on Thursday, I meet at four o'clock every Thursday with the boys on our campus for dinner and devotions. Of course, we have a lot of turnover with our boys, so every Thursday I will give the story of family ministries and how we started. And uh, I will give my, our family's story. I'll give my testimony. And then we take prayer requests and read the Bible and I'll give devotion. Then we'll eat. I got done giving the history of family ministries. And one of the new boys, he raised his hand that Thursday. He said, all that stuff you just talked about, all those children's homes and them nursing homes and the camp and Who's the boss over all that? I said, it's me. He said, no, 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 no. He said, who is your boss? I said, well, we have a board of directors, but I'm the boss. He said, you're mean to all that stuff you're talking about, over 200 employees, $15 million budget. You're the man? I said, I know I'm as surprised as anybody, but they gave me the keys. It's me. I was getting a little bit of hurt feelings. I almost asked if his last name was Denton, but I did that. Sorry, sorry, I promised. He said, if you're the man, you're the man. He said, I got some things to say to you. I said, okay, lay it on me, I'm ready. He said, there's some things we need around here. I said, okay, what do you need? He said, well, for starters, we need some better deodorant. He said, that stuff they give us, 
they must have had it in the room for about 10 years because, you know, it's that roll-on stuff and it crumbled. It's fallen. It's cheap stuff. We need some better quality deodorant. <clears throat> Josh is sitting next to me. I know Josh. He's one of our boys. He always has a pen, pen and paper. I said, get your pen and paper out. I'm never going to remember. Because people, we need such and such body wash and this and that. I said, start taking notes. Take, take down all this stuff. <clears throat> you say, why, why are you listening to all that? Why are you taking it? Because listen, our boys, I tell our employees all the time, our boys are not an, an annoyance. Our boys are the reason we exist as a ministry. Our, our kids. And listen, I said, they're not, they, Jesus said I was in prison and you visited me and these boys are not in prison but they're here against their will and if I can make their life a little bit more, better, I'm going to try to do it. So we're taking down this list and they were, getting, they were going crazy with longer phone calls and stuff that I didn't have any control over. But anyway, he's, he's making this list. Josh folds the list. He puts it, I put it in my Bible. This Bible. And I, that weekend I'm working, putting the fine final touches on this sermon I just preached to you. I forgot all about that list. There it was. And I pulled it out and I look at the list of all this stuff that they asked for. But then I, I did not realize that Josh had drawn a line at the bottom of the page and he wrote me a personal note. It touched me so much that I took a picture of it and I put it in the notes for this sermon. There's the picture of the, 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 that, that note. Here's what he put at the bottom. He said, these are just some things that we want. We know we probably can't get all of what is asked. Although we do appreciate what we are given and what we receive. And you know that's so accurate. It's so true. Most of our boys are very grateful for what they get. They always say thank you to uh, my assistant when she brings the meal in on Thursdays. They're, they're very grateful. And I'm telling you that note, I mean, I, that tore me up. I tried to take it to my wife. I couldn't even read it to her. I said, you got you to read this. So I took a picture of it and I put it in the notes. And I'm preaching at our church that Sunday. The sermon I just preached to you. And I said to the camera, there was nobody there, it was an empty building. I said, you know what our boys need? Those boys, they don't need a three-point sermon and a poem from me on grace. They don't need a college course on grace. They need some deodorant. Grace of God in their life right now is going to take the form of some deodorant. So I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You know what I'm going to do with that list? Everything in my power, I'm going to get permission from our administrators, anything that they can have. I don't want them to have anything illegal or contraband. But I'm going to Walmart tomorrow and I'm going to buy deodorant. I said, if there's anybody, I was saying this joking, I said, if there's anybody out there watching, you got some gift cards, they, these boys may bankrupt me, but bless God, I'm going to try to get everything on that list. Well, how many know there are still some good people in this world? There, we've got a lot of bad things going on in this world, but I'm telling you, and there's a lot of good people in East Tennessee, and apparently that story struck a nerve. I, I closed in prayer, and I get out of the pulpit. Our assistant pastor standing there with tears streaming down his face. He's got a $100 bill out of his wallet. Give those boys some deodorant. Go buy it. <laughs> the sheriff's department runs security on our building. During all services, he's already, it's only 10 minutes after I've finished. Somebody's already left. He's got two cards with, with, with gift cards at the door for the boys. I'm, I'm trying to get to my car. I'm walking across the parking lot and a woman barrels in in her car. 
Found out later, she doesn't even go to our church. She's a retired school teacher in the air. She's crying. She rolls her window down. She's got $5 bill rolled in hair curlers she's probably had since 1963. She's throwing it out the window. Give those to the boys. I'll give them for the other one. That afternoon after lunch, one of our deacons, I can't even understand what he's saying. He's sobbing. He said, if I need deodorant, I can go to Walmart and get whatever I want. We're going to send a check tomorrow. Get those boys out of there, whatever they want. So next Thursday, we're back for devotions. And the windowsill is filled with deodorant and shampoo and basketballs and footballs and some video games that they'd asked for. Everything on the list. Instead of giving a lesson, I was able to say, there's some people that love you and love Jesus enough. You don't even know them and we'll never meet them. Reckon that's a probably more effective sermon than anything I can say. Sometimes people need, yes, sometimes we've got to give the gospel and we've got to present the plan of salvation, but sometimes they need to see it. Because sometimes what we're doing is speaking so loud they can't hear anything we say. They don't care what we know until they know that we care. I'm asking you, when's the last time somebody has seen the grace of God revealed through your life? Because you truly, and I know we've said it so many times, it's, we think it's corny, but you're the only Bible some people are going to read. Oh, I wonder. Has anybody seen grace? If we're going to model, some people are going to see what Jesus is like. They're going to have to see it through us. When I first got to our ministry, I had the big idea that I was going to get involved. This is before I did my, my, my weekly thing. Uh, I said, I'm going to take all the boys. We're going to go on Friday night. I'm going to take them into Greenville. We're going to go bowling. And then I'm going to take them anywhere they want to go eat. So we went, I mean, I was nervous enough as it was. I had a couple employees with me. I mean, all I could see was the kids just running away in the headline in the Greenville paper. CEO takes all the kids. They all run away. They're all scattered. We get down to the bowling alley. The bowling alley in Greenville is uh, stuck in about 1953 because they don't have any electronic scoring. So I'm trying to score several different bowling games by hand and everybody's coming. And whew, I, was, I was nervous. Then, boys... Anywhere you want to eat. I mean, I must be real out of touch with American children because I thought it was no brainer. It's going to be McDonald's, right? No. You know where they wanted to go? Taco Bell. Hey, <laughs> man. So we get into Taco Bell. I've got them all up there. I tell the waitress, one, one check, one, one bill. I'm talking to one of our employees. I'm, no, I'm trying to make sure everybody's in my eyesight. I'm all <laughs> nervous. And all of a sudden, I noticed that that group that was so rowdy all night has suddenly grown quiet. And they're turning and they're looking at me. They're not looking at I said, have you ordered yet? No. I said, what is the problem? And they've got one they looked to that was their spokesman. He said, Preacher, we're just wondering, what is our limit? 
what is on your What are you talking about? I said, how much can we spend? I thought of all the youth groups I have ever been with in a fast food restaurant. My kids in a fast food restaurant. Ain't nobody ever asked me, how much can I spend? And boy, that touched me. I mean, I got a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye. And I looked at that boy. I said, son, tonight you are eating with the boss. And when you're eating with the boss, there isn't any limit. Get whatever you want. Can I tell you, that's a big mistake with a group of teenage boys at Taco Bell. Aren't you glad that we serve a heavenly father? There isn't any limit. His table of resources are filled for us. And somebody needs to see his love expressed and displayed in their life. Somebody you're going to come in contact with this week. Not in here, out there. Barnabas said, boy, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I can say I have seen seen the grace of God. I wonder at the beginning of this revival how many of us would be challenged that by our testimony and by our life somebody would see grace, His unmerited favor through our life. Maybe you're here and you can't show grace because grace has not been revealed in your life. The blood has not been applied to your sins. You're lost as a ball in tall weeds. Well, I've got good news. You're in a good place. You can get saved. There'd be no greater beginning to a revival than for you to get saved. We, we make it difficult sometimes. It really is just as simple as ABC. We've got to admit that we're sinners. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And then we've got to confess our sins and make Him the Lord of our life. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you need to get saved today. But if you're here and you're a believer, I trust we'd be reminded and that we would make a holy vow of commitment and dedication. Lord, lay some soul along my path this week so that I can exhibit your love, your mercy, and your grace to them. I wonder. Has anybody seen?